everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Debating Metal. I'm Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect the hard rock and heavy metal bands we all know and love. Each week, we also discuss some bands and albums you may not know that you should definitely be listening to, as well as giving you our big four on various bands, albums, musicians, etc. This week on episode 19, we're talking Rainbow, and which vocalist was better, Ronnie James Dio or Joe Lynn Turner? And later in the episode, you wanted the best, you got the best, with this week's Big Four Rainbow Songs, as chosen by the Debating Metal crew. And we'll also have another dose of what should you be listening to. But before we get things going, let's recap what we discussed last week on episode 18. Last week, we stripped away the face paint and chose which arrow is better for Kiss, masked or unmasked. And we definitely want to hear your opinion on the matter, so send us an email at debatingmetal at gmail.com. Or go to our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and leave us comments or messages and tell us what you think about this topic or any other topic. And if you missed this or any of our other episodes, you can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, or iHeartRadio. And please don't forget to rate us or leave a review. Now, Chris, tell them what our Big Four was last week. Last week, we picked our Big Four Kiss songs. To check out the list, make sure you listen to the episode and then leave a comment on our social media and tell us what your big four Kiss songs are. Now let's start things off once again with what should you be listening to? Kenneth, why don't you start? Okay, this week, I, you know, this is starting to become a trend. I don't know. Maybe maybe even a tradition. I am prepared. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, I'm actually, it's not a repeat, but it's a repeat artist. And this week I am choosing... Once again, Night Demon with their third new single, Are You Out There? And it was released on June 1st, and it's the third single that they've released. Now, they, they have not stated whether or not they're going to put out a new album or not, but they have released three singles, one on April 1st, one on May 1st, and one on June 1st. This has been a concerted effort to get these singles out, but still they haven't really teased an album or anything like that. This song, Are You Out There, is kind of a Thin Lizzy type song, and it's kind of, it's not a, a straight out dedication to Thin Lizzy. You know, the story is not about Thin Lizzy or anything like that, but it is written and performed in the style of Thin Lizzy. Kind of harkens back to me, I'm not a big Thin Lizzy fan, but it harkens back to me to, to uh, Jailbreak to some extent, just the way it has the, the start stop drum beat um, and just the, the, the intonation of his voice on the song but a really really cool song um and all three singles that they've released so far are really cool i mentioned um empire's fall a few weeks back as being a really cool single and that was what my what should you be listening to selection was back then so two weeks later they've released a third single and this is my choice this week what do you got well, I just want to say, I, I I thought for sure you were making a pun when you said dedication and and uh, oh, Thin Lizzy because of that <laughs> the yeah. album that they released, <laughs> dedication. Um, but yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. I need to check all those out. Are they not releasing it as an album for any specific reason? I guess just because what's going on right now. Um, or they, they haven't mentioned it. Um, I, I was listening to the inter- the interview that Jarvis Leatherby had on Talking Maiden a week ago or so. And he didn't want to give away a, the clues of whether or not they were going to, one, release another single or release a full album. Uh, he says, you know, he wants to keep it a surprise. Very similar to what Avenged Sevenfold did a few years back where they just dropped a single without any previous warning. Okay. It, it didn't work for Avenged Sevenfold for two reasons. One, uh, at the time, people were still kind of expecting, you know, albums to come out and they did a really good job of hiding it but the second was it wasn't such a strong album so it kind of failed Mm. in night demon's case the the songs all three songs are really strong they are on if i'm not mistaken they're on nuclear blast records and jarvis had to do a fight and a half to try and get them to convince them to do it this way one because of the pandemic and two because 
it was a, such a different method of, of getting the music out there. I mean, they, they have no previous, nobody has previous knowledge of, of the song coming out and they just drop them without notice. Mm-hmm. And it's been on the first of every, of every month. So it, it's not even like on Fridays when new releases come out. It's boom on, uh, I don't even know if, 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 I don't know if music releases are coming out on Friday or, or Tuesday like they used to, but I know movies are coming out on Fridays. They just dropped them on the first of the, of the month and that was it. So I believe there is an album coming out, but they have not stated so. Gotcha. Okay. Well, uh, it seems like we're reversing roles this week. I'm picking something old. You're picking something new. I like um, it. I like it. <laughs> so fitting with our theme, I actually have two picks because if it, it fits right in with uh, the rainbow topic today, uh, we're, we're debating Ronnie James Dio and Joe Lynn Turner, but there were two other major singers for Rainbow, and those would be Graham Bonnet and Doogie White. And they released the albums uh, Down to Earth and uh, Stranger in Us All. And those are still really good albums. I really, I'm a big fan of Down to Earth because I like Graham Bonnet's voice. I love that um, album. I love that. Yeah, album. I mean, go ahead. Oh no, I say I love that album. Down yeah, to it's. It's it's really good. I love Stranger in Us All too. Um, it's it's a little um, darker tone, I guess, but it has uh, Doogie White singing. It fits right along with it. He's, he's an Irish singer or Scottish. I, I apologize. That would piss him off, I'm sure. Um, but <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I mean, they're definitely albums worth listening to. I think that Doogie White kind of got a raw deal in his his uh, situation with Rainbow because. Uh, not long after that album came out, Richie went off and did his uh, Renaissance Fair project with his wife, and you know that's his, that's what he wanted to do. That's what he you know enjoyed, you know at that stage of his life. It just kind of sucks that you know they only put out the one album before all that went down. Yeah, I mean it, it, that was uh, it was interesting because it, 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 there was also a break in between. It wasn't very consecutive. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a large break, but back then, those kinds of breaks, were, you know, two years were, were kind of like you can get lost. Well, it was 12 years from the last Joe Lynn Turner album till Stranger in Us All came out. Oh, you know what? I, ha- I have my dates wrong. You're, you're, you're right, and I, I apologize. But yeah, and that's what happens. You have a large gap like that. So mm-hmm. the comment still stands. The time frame doesn't. <laughs> but yeah. that, that's what happens. You, you get something like that where an album comes out and you haven't had anything significant, you change your entire lineup. So the last time these people saw you, you were pretty famous. You were, you know, you were pretty popular and then you just dropped off the face of the earth and come back with a brand new band. It's it's tough. You know, unless you have the promotion out there, unless you have, you know, record companies behind you hundred percent, it's tough to get those types of things to be well received. Yeah, and they, they toured quite a bit with that album and it did fairly well. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like a, a a bomb or anything. They did pretty well. It's just at that point he was just done with the Rainbow Project and he was ready to move on to, you know, his his new music. Right, right. I mean, I'm not saying it was a terrible album, but when you remember, it's 1995, so it's in the middle of you know the height or even towards the end of the height of the grunge era. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's coming out with traditional you know Rainbow Rock, for that matter. So yeah, it, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's a tough it's, sell. Basically. It's not, yeah, like even looking at the album cover, it doesn't look like something that came out in 1995. <laughs> exactly. and it really doesn't. And and it's just, it wasn't ever going to be, you know, the, the huge hit that was going on with the music at the time. But it's still good music, and it's something definitely worth going back to and listening to. For sure, I love the Down to Earth album is awesome, and they they released a deluxe edition, which is even cooler. Yeah, it's it's really too bad that they didn't do more with uh, Graham Bonnet because he really has a great voice. One of my honestly, one of my favorite uh, uh, Rainbow songs is "Since You've Been Gone." I just I, I like that song a lot, but it's such a drastic difference from what they did with Ronnie before. But uh, we'll get to more of that later. All right, well, that brings us straight to our topic of the week, which is Rainbow, Ronnie James Dio versus Jolyn Turner. Now, this is not so much a versus type of issue. I mean, it is, it's it is, but in, in reality, if you think about the two different eras that they are, it's two completely different bands. The, the, the Ronnie James Dio 
era is very different from the Joe Lynn Turner era. Actually, it changed dramatically in the Graham Bonnet era, which is one album. Then, you know, then Joe Lynn Turner came after that. So there was a dramatic change, a dramatic shift in the style of music that they played. And there's a purpose for that. Richie Blackmore wanted to be uh, more commercial. He wanted to get a little bit more success in America. And so he, you know, he purposely changed. I mean, he was changing the band every album anyway, but he purposely went looking for a different singer that could attain that success that he was looking for in the United States. Yeah, he wanted to sound more like a foreigner kind of band. And uh, right. yeah, he, he achieved what he was looking for. Um, I mean, they had definitely had the biggest hits that they ever had when they, they were under the Joe Lynn Turner era. But as far as musicality, as far as the long-lasting appeal and the fan base that still exists, I would, I would venture to say that the Ronnie James Dio era is the bigger era. It, uh, there's to me, there's a there's a big divide in that in this these two these two particular eras, because they are so distinctly different. Someone who grew up in the '80s, like myself, or or you know, basically came of age in the '80s, is gonna remember the era of Joe Lynn Turner. He's gonna remember, or he or she is gonna remember songs like Stone Cold, Power, Can't Let You Go can't happen here and in that the mtv era helped that too because you know part of the grand bonnet era was you know the singles that they that they had that kind of began the train rolling in 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 that commercial path and joe lynn turner picked it up and ran with it you know the 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 people who were kind of like came you know there were deep purple fans and saw that richie left and and those they're probably a little bit older crowd so you know I'm 51 years old. I would say the crowd that's probably in the late 50s, early 60s is probably more attuned to the Ronnie era than my era. But you're not either one of those eras, and you're Ronnie. And I'm yeah. And I'm I mean, Joe. I, I came off the heels of listening to Ronnie in Black Sabbath, and kind of went back in time. So, you know, found his his catalog. Uh, with Rainbow, even found the Elf album. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I <laughs> I went way back. You know, couldn't find Ronnie in the Red Caps, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I I'm a huge Dio fan. I mean, he's a, he's a fantastic singer, has a, a really cool approach, very you know likable guy. Yeah, definitely two different, completely different bands. I mean, you got you got the era where he's singing about mountain kings and and uh <laughs> you know um more dungeons and dragons kind of stuff which dio's known for and then the era with uh, well graham bonnet and then joe lynn turner becomes more commercial based music some lovey-dovey songs uh, you know some very catchy tunes oh yeah i mean the, the hooks came a lot faster <laughs> in, in the commercial era but mm-hmm. now, now let me state this ahead of time. I am a huge Ronnie James Dio fan for, you know, Rainbow, Black Sabbath, Dio the band. So I have nothing against Ronnie James Dio. I think he's one of the best vocalists ever to pick up a microphone and sing heavy metal. So this is not about whether he was good or bad in Rainbow. This is, a, you know, this is a debate about whether or not the Joe Lynn Turner era was better than the Ronnie James Dio Ronnie James Dio era, and my side is the Joe Lynn Turner side. Your side's Ronnie, and again, this is in no way a reflection of what I think of him as a singer. Because I, I would hate for people to say, "Oh, well, you know, Kenneth Dean thinks that you know Ronnie James Dio sucks." Well, that's not the case whatsoever. I I love Ronnie, but for this debate, I personally think that that the the Joe Lynn Turner era was the better era of, of Rainbow. All right. Well, <clears throat> let me start off with going back to Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. So we, we've kind of got a basis of where the, where the band came from. It's an early take on what the band would become in the next few years. And it, you definitely feel that uh, influence from his time in, in Deep Purple, especially the early, early Deep Purple. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, he's got elements that that 
you really haven't heard since that you know that first Mark One version of uh, of Deep Purple. Right. So it's a little bit more experimental here. I mean, I I love the sand, the song Man on the Silver Mountain, but this is definitely not my favorite version of the of the the song. <laughs> the the live albums that they would release or live even the bootlegs that you could find anything any version of it that that really came after this version is better because one it's faster it's not plotting you know it's it's uh it's just more exciting the the live releases that they did uh from germany are are some of the best versions of the song because it's just it's a lot heavier and and he really goes off on guitar um yeah i i mean i i I love that song but i do prefer the faster version like yourself um, oh yeah, I mean it, it's it's a rough listen to be honest. Yeah, it's it's I mean it's an incredible way to 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 start an album. I mean it's a great song. I mean it's it's, it's just a catchy hooky song, but it's really really slow in comparison to the way they played it afterwards. Essentially, it it kind of brings out how the album's going to go. I guess you could say it 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 it, it shows the path of the album, the path yeah. of Rainbow. And like you said, yes, they were very. It was it harkens back to early Mark One Deep Purple. But almost to a degree, it's like it's like a really good combination between Mark One and Mark Two, because you yeah. the, the the talent that's in Mark Two, and then you know the just the kind of stylings, a little bit of Mark One, combined, and that's you know he made Rainbow with that, and he cho- and he had the same formula, you know, keyboard is is replacing a second guitar player, and and the the rhythm section is just solid you know in this particular case on the first album you're talking about um it's not even uh it's not even jimmy bain it's um a guy named craig gruber playing with gary driscoll so there's that cohesiveness with the rhythm section there and so the album the album's great but it's it's definitely one of those albums that you got to grow into and see the potential from that band especially you know you know it's richie blackmore and you know it's ronnie james dio but there's a lot that needs to be that that needs to happen before it, they, the momentum gets going. Yeah, I mean, basically he took some of the guys from Elf and formed a band with them. So, all right, so you got Craig Gruber and Mickey Lasalle who came from Elf, and obviously Ronnie James Dio from Elf, and they are you know guys that have been playing together for a while, and you've got. Richie Blackmore injecting his style of playing into that band, so it's it's a new band, and obviously, kind of like I I, I kind of relate it to Audio Slave when Audio Slave released their first album. Right, you've got you've got two meshing styles that, even though it's a good album, it's um, it's not quite there yet. But what they would do with the next albums really saw more cohesiveness and that's definitely what happened with uh, rising right now rising is one of my favorite albums of all time it is a fantastic album from beginning to end it has only six songs and not a bad one i can listen to that album over and over and over again and i did because my cd got stuck in my cd player years ago when i, when <laughs> I was <laughs> uh, let's see i want to say it was around 2000 Five, two thousand six, and that was about the only thing I could listen to in that car <laughs> back then. So for for about six months, that was my option was <laughs> was, it was Rainbow, Rainbow Rising. Rising. And um, I never got sick of it. That was the thing. Like it's such a good album. I would I would put it up there with with just about any of anything else that Dio put out. I think it's one of the top one, if not the top al- album he released. That's an that's an amazing album, and I was listening to it on the way home today. Part of it, and what's cool about that is, you know, the the, the new deluxe edition, or not new, but it came out nine years ago. The 2011 deluxe edition has the two different mixes that eventually made its way into the general public: the LA mix and the New York mix. And the LA mix was the one that that was first done. And it had Jimmy Bain's bass a little bit more prominent in the mix. And then for some reason, the, the record company didn't like it. And so they remixed it in New York. They kind of squashed the bass sound a little bit. And that's what they released. And then later on, when they released the CD, for some reason, they chose the LA mix. And they used that 
for the for the first CD that came out on Polydor, and then they've gone back and forth. And I, I personally think they've they've lost which one is which at this point, and and they just keep putting out different ones because the apparently the um, the anthology is a, is a, I think the New York mix, but they remastered it in such a way that it made it more punchy. So it's almost the same as the LA mix. So there's a lot of similarities now. It's it's really weird. It's like George Lucas tooling yeah, around exa- with Star it's Wars. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> exactly like that. Now, the the funny thing about it is is this album is pretty much got the staple of the Ronnie James Dira or the staples of the Ronnie James Dira Dio era of Rainbow. You know, Tarot Woman, Stargazer, Starstruck. You know, those those songs are, you know, staples. Uh, you know, that's half the album. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and even then, you know, other songs, you know, Run With The Run with the Wolf and Do You Close Your Eyes and A Light in Black. Those, I think they were, they were at one time or another during that era were played live. So, you know, got the whole album going. But the one thing that I, I got to take now, mind you, I'm not, I, again, love the album. But the one thing I got to take away from that is that the style of of that music and it was Richie kind of you know even going from deep purple to to rainbow Richie kind of changed his style a little bit he became a little less rockish and a little more neoclassical uh in his guitar playing and that and that was on purpose and then you know then he again as as time went on he began to converge those two and that's basically what he became known for but his his playing was much more i guess melodramatic to some degree in my opinion there's a lot of uh, emotion behind his playing I, I love his playing i love richie blackmore's guitar player um but it definitely changed as as they got closer to the commercial era you know and he became a little bit more rockish again so he went, kind of went back towards the deep purple part yeah, I I just feel like this was a better mesh than what they had done before. Oh, I mean, for they, sure. They replaced pretty much the whole band. I mean, I, I, other than Dio and and Blackmore, mm-hmm. and so they they with Tony Carey, Jimmy Bain, and Cozy Powell. Cozy Powell being one of the the best drummers ever, and oh, his yeah. drumming on this album is phenomenal. Um, and Jimmy Bain, I mean, we know him from Dio and 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 Rainbow, just fantastic uh bassist uh yeah i guess it really does depend on which which mix you've heard but both are good i mean it it, whether you got the new york or the the los angeles mix they're both great yeah they are so i mean i guess that brings us to long live rock and roll which is the final album with dio i don't think it's quite quite as strong as uh as rising but it definitely has some huge Huge songs on it, like L.A. Connection, uh, I Love Lady of the Lake, Kill the King, what a great song. Oh, I love um, that song. Songs about killing kings seem to be really good. <laughs> yeah, the, the Megadeth <laughs> version, is, uh, Megadeth song, same title, different ver- different song. Excellent yeah. song as well. Uh, but obviously, the song Long Live Rock and Roll. I mean, it's, it's a great song. And then Rainbow Eyes is a really good finish to that album. It's a little bit soft, but it almost, it almost seems like the, it's like the the song the outro to ronnie you know it's it's a kind of sad quiet song he's leaving the band you know mm-hmm. yeah again you you hit it on the head with the with the particular songs that you you spoke about because those were you know kill the king long the rock and roll staples la connection as well they it, 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 it's a good album you know for for what it was it was the next album in the series, you know, Rising was such a good album. and I, It was almost hard to think that they would be able to replicate it or, or even be better than that. They got close because they, they continued. But I guess, you know, sort of like how, you know, bands have a strong, strong album. And then the next album, it may not be as good, but it's still strong. But it's still good, yeah. Yeah, that's the kind of, the kind of thing that that was. And the album, you know... Again, it, it it brought Rainbow to that next level that they needed to go to, but it still wasn't where Richie wanted to be. And so, with that said, he chose to depart from Ronnie James Dio, and he picked Graham Bonnet as a new singer. 
Now, Graham Bonnet didn't last very long for a couple. The biggest reason that Richie says is because he just didn't look the part. Because there's definitely nothing wrong with his voice. I mean, the album, Down to Earth, is, is incredible. The music on it is awesome. But he, he, Richie says he just did not look the part. And he wanted someone who looked the part. He that looked, you know, long hair, rock and roll guy. Graham was short hair, blonde, if I'm not mistaken. And he wore a skinny tie and a leather jacket. Just kind of an odd look. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he he didn't he didn't quite look the part, especially with with Blackmore always kind of looking Renaissance fairy, um, fairish, not fairy. Um, <laughs> um, um, I have to say one thing before we proceed. But um, so you said that he chose to depart from Ronnie. It was actually the opposite. Ronnie quit uh, Rainbow, and when that happened, that was Blackmore. You know, I don't. I don't know what would have happened if if Ronnie hadn't quit. I mean, it may have devolved from there, but he left the band, and then at that point, he chose to, or Blackmore chose to, kind of re-retrofit the band, and he replaced some guys. Mm-hmm. You know, he kept Cozy Powell on, uh, but he he got rid of uh, Bob Daisley, and uh, brought on Roger Glover. Right. That brings us to Jolene Turner, who takes over as the vocalist for Rainbow um, with the departure of Graham Bonnet. And that sees Rainbow's greatest commercial success for the next three albums. They rose, uh, initially each album rose in a very similar style, or not style, very similar situation happened where they have this one album, It's it's got some songs on it, they're couple catchy tunes it's you know one or two singles then the next album's better then the third album solid album probably i would say not as good as the second album and then i'm talking about the, the the trio of jolyn turner albums some might disagree with me um they might think that bent out of shape is better than straight between the eyes i personally don't think so well i mean straight between the eyes had a big hit with uh, death alley driver um, Death Alley Driver was a big hit. Stone, Stone Cold, Cold was a huge hit for them. You know, record sales wise, um, you can't really tell because it didn't go gold in the U.S. Either either of the two albums, but both albums did go silver in the U.K. So it's hard to to really say what the the success rate was for the albums. But yeah, um, you can typically sense it with your touring and that album straight between the eyes had the live concert video that was played on mtv so that era of rainbow was you know obviously the most popular and then they go into the next album they change drummers they come out with street of dreams and can't let you go those are two big hits for them but they're definitely a lot softer it's not as hard rock. I mean, it's a de- along the lines of Stone Cold. It's not anything like Death Alley Driver. It's not anything like Power. But that's what Richie wanted. He was he was looking for that kind of success. It just never. I don't think he ever achieved that level of success that he really was really desiring. And I, and I think that's yeah. the reason why they ended up. He ended up putting Rainbow away for a while. You know, because shortly thereafter, Final Vinyl came out, and that was supposed to be the end of Rainbow at that time and you know you put out an album that says final vinyl that's going to be your last album (laughs) so but you know 13 years later or 12 years later he he he, uh comes back with stranger us and all stranger in us all so when you look at difficult to cure and how it changed from from ronnie to graham to to jolene turner i don't know they got they brought in roger glover believe he was on the previous album yeah he was on down to earth okay Mm -hmm. so they bring in roger glover and roger glover kind of basically takes over as the band's producer um so he's the one who's crafting their sound on the albums richie you know finally has the, the vocalist that he wants and so what he ends up doing is instead of really writing the hit single he chooses to do a cover song from russ ballard uh i surrender and as good or bad a choice as it is, I mean, it was a single. It, it it was a hit for them. It brought them onto the charts. It gave them, you know, the spotlight that they were looking for. 
and then they had a, a nice single with um, Can't Happen Here that was a big MTV hit and it was a, one of these rapid fire videos with a ton of changing scenes because of the way the, the fast pace of the vocals was. They had the success that they were looking for but not they didn't achieve it you know, the way that Richie wanted it. In comes you know, the next album, uh, Straight Between the Eyes. And I, I think that's the closest that Richie ever got to being at the top of the mountain that he wanted to be at. Straight Between the Eyes is an excellent album. With Death Alley Driver starting off the album, it's a killer video. You know, it's Richie Blackmore at his gothic best. <laughs> and then, of yeah, course- it's it's a cool video. I, <laughs> I remember watching it and thinking, like, I, I saw the name at the bottom of the screen. I was watching on VH1 Classic back in the day, and I saw the name on the screen, Rainbow Death Alley Driver. I was like, I don't really know this song. It's this cool. And then I hear. Joe Lynn Turner's, uh, you know, vo- voice on there, and that was the first time I had ever heard him as a singer of Rainbow. I only knew Ronnie at that point, and I was like, "What? What? What's going on?" Yeah, th- those <laughs> kinds of things when when band members change can, you know, when you haven't seen him in a while or or you haven't seen the whole, the totality of the band, it can be kind of like, "Oh, where did this guy come from?" <laughs> it's it, it's one of those shocking things sometimes. That album was really cool. Sounds great. It, it the album the tour was was huge for them and they were playing arenas they were headlining arenas that's that's basically where you want to be at when you come to the United States so they've got for the most part they've got an English band with a, an American singer so he 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 helped them break through the way he wanted that Richie wanted I love I, I mean I remember seeing that video on MTV I love it and when uh, when the digital age came about I was that was one of the videos I was hunting for I never got the VHS but so- somehow somewhere I came along a digital download of it and I have it on DVD now so it's pretty cool I like it so the next album now everybody's anticipating the next rainbow album and they get the single I think the single can't let you go is the first one uh, I'm not sure let me no sorry street of Ge- street of dreams was the first single that came off that album and it was definitely along the lines of stone cold a little faster um than stone cold but definitely along the same lines very very soft uh, not slow soft but just soft and in, in, it wasn't like one of these punchy you know type of songs that you know that, that crack you across the jaw it was just a, a nice easy Almost like an easy listening rock song, and then uh, then they came out with the with the uh, "Can't Let You Go" single, which was that heavy you know gothic keyboard st- sound. After that, you know, part of it was it, it, things weren't happening for Rainbow the way they wanted, and then the, the other thing that was a major factor was the reunion of Deep Purple. There was a lot of talk in the background, so I think Richie's focus ended up going elsewhere, obviously, and he put Rainbow in the back burner and just dumped it until. 12 years later when he left Deep Purple again. Yeah, I mean I think this is a strong album. I mean, I, I definitely think that the Ben Out of Shape was a strong album. It just it it never hit that, that level of popularity. I, I really like Stranded. I think that's probably my favorite song on the album, mm-hmm. but that's it's not song. really indicative of all the other songs. It, everything's a bit softer, and he's always got a couple of, of odd instrumentals in each song. He's, he's, I mean, each album. He's got one that he writes typically. He writes one one instrumental, and then he'll do a cover of something else. And I think this one was Snowman, which is uh, from an animated film. So he's, he's got some oddball instrumentals. And it's funny, because instrumentals don't often go with commercial success so it's, it's an odd choice to include instrumentals even in this era of the band exactly it was very similar to difficult to, difficult to cure had i think either two instrumentals yeah it had two instrumentals on it as well and you know i i think that's where you could see that ronnie was losing his focus as far as or not ronnie excuse me richie was losing his focus on where the band was headed because he's achieving this success that he wanted but then he's starting to revert back to the, uh, I guess you could say, isolated guitar player that he is. And, you know, two instrumentals on, a, on what's supposed to be a commercial album. They've got two good singles off of it, three good, you know, three really solid songs. Um, and then, you know, you got these two instrumentals. And you only got ten songs in the album. So now you got basically one-fifth of your album 
is instrumental. You know, you already got the, the two singles and, and, and one strong song. So it, it's not necessarily the way you the way you would you know it's not part of the playbook where you would write an album to to, to continue that commercial success because if you look yep. at stranger uh, straight between the eyes no covers and no instrumentals so that was that was you know that's one of the reasons that this, the album was big it was all on those on their shoulders the five guys yeah i think i here's what i think it, and and i always kind of go back to this in my mind being an artist is that what I what I really like about the the Ronnie era of the band is there's a sincerity there and every everybody wants to be successful but there's there's a line to be drawn sometimes where you want to be successful but you also want to be true to yourself you also want to put out the product that you want to put out and that's what I feel when I listen to those first three uh, rainbow albums is that they're you know they're doing what they did you know they're they're not they're not trying to be anybody they're just they're just writing music that they love and they're putting it out and hoping you love it too and when when Ronnie left the band that changed it, it became less about putting out the the product that they love and more about trying to achieve success and that's that's not necessarily a bad thing because when with Coverdale with David Coverdale it worked really well. I mean, it, it the, those two albums right when he was trying to break America, they were fantastic. I mean, they're some of the best uh, White Snake albums ever. But when this happened, to me, it's just it, it, there's almost an insincerity there, and it's not it's not that they're not writing good music, and it's not you know that that. The, the musicians in there are not talented. It's that the cohesiveness of the albums are not as strong. You know, just like what I was saying with the instrumentals, it's it just it's an odd choice to me sometimes that you're listening to this very commercial album and then you've got a, a you know Renaissance Fair kind of element or instrumental, and and so I just always always want to listen to an album from beginning to end though the the ones that every album that is in my top 10 is one of those that i don't skip a song uh, and i think and that's I, like that for everybody you know well i i, I don't know because i i think so many people are just about singles now yeah i mean I, I, I get, albums are not as as popular as a whole now. right yeah i mean i see what you're saying there I, I I agree with you. It, it was a strange. It's a strange choice. I think again, you know, Richie began to lose his focus, and that may have been because somewhere in the background there was people talking to him, saying, "Hey, man, we can get this Deep Purple thing going." Uh, yeah, we don't know what was happening at, the, at that time, but obviously there was a lot of things going on because it was you know that album came out in 1983. You know, bent out of shape in 1984. Perfect Strangers came out with Deep Purple, so you know that there was there was a lot of talk going on because it didn't just yeah. happen overnight. So Richie is Richie. I mean, Richie's focus has never been one to be, he can't remember guitar solos from one day to the next. So that tells you everything yep. you need to know right there. In a, in a similar type of thing, you know, you've got three albums for each of the singers. Okay. Your defense of Ronnie. I, I, I like the Ronnie albums. I, I had to go just like you. I had to go backwards and listen to those, um, and I probably in the last ten years have listened to those more than I ever have in the previous, you know, whatever thirty something years that they've been out. So it's it's um, it's a weird thing for me because I didn't, I never got into the Ronnie James Dio era. I didn't hear Ronnie singing "Man on a Silver Mountain" or "Long Live Rock and Roll" until the album Final Vinyl came out. So I, I didn't even have those albums at the time. So I kind of discovered the Ronnie era through the the Joel and Turner era, or the end of the Joel and Turner era. Yeah. And there was always those, you know, like you listen to Joe sing Ronnie's songs, and they they never had the same vibe that Ronnie, because that's just Ronnie. I mean, you, it's hard to beat Ronnie at his own game, you know? Yeah, it's not like Van Halen where... You know, Sammy came in and and sang the David songs and and well, it's really two different bands. It, uh, the only the only linking factor is the way that Blackmore plays the guitar. <laughs> right, exactly. And you know, you've got Jolene Turner who has this very soft rock voice, 
and I say soft because he, let me tell you, the only time I've ever heard that guy with a rough voice was amazingly enough, he did a cover of Back in Black for a Thunderbolt, an ACDC tribute album. And you would not recognize that as being Joel and Turner. I mean, it, it is. It sounds a lot more like what's the dude, the, the the singer for Jackal, or you know, very similar to a Brian Johnson style vocals. And and I mean, he must have shredded his vocals. There's no way that he could have, have continued to do a tour with trying to do that because he would have just ripped his vocals apart. But yeah, he did it. You know, so I, I, you know, I hear Jillian Turner and he's just, you know, he's got this soft, smooth voice and he's a rock singer, but he's got a smooth voice, sort of like, you know, uh, almost like a harder edged Steve Perry or similar to um, Joey Belladonna. And then you got Ronnie, who is just this consummate professional. He's got that tone. He's got that sound. He's got the, the intonation of his voice is just so such a unique thing. It's hard uh-huh. to it's hard to, to compete against that. But when you go song for song or album for album, you know, it's you're going to get the equivalent. You're going to have more commercial success for Joel and Turner. That's exactly what they wanted. But you have the, the, the foundation was started with Ronnie. It's it's one of those things where it's just like, how do you sit there and say, oh, this is better than Ronnie or this is better than Joe? I, just, I think just one of those things is that so many musicians cite Rising as as one of their favorite albums or, you know, such a huge inspiration. That's always been very interesting to me to hear. You know, so so many talk about Rising. I remember watching that metal show back, you know, when it ran, and it was just a constant topic of conversation. Uh, I mean, Stargazer alone is just, it it doesn't feel like an eight-minute song. No. Almost nine-minute song. It's a journey, and, and it's just so fun to listen to. Yeah, I mean, and my favorite band, you know, did a medley of those Rainbow songs. You know, Stargazer, Tarot Woman, Kill the King. I think there was one more song in there. can't remember. But Talica covering the Ronnie era uh, songs of Rainbow, because they could have picked any Ronnie song that they wanted, but those you know, those were the ones that they chose off those two albums. Because I don't, I don't think, oh, no, no, sorry. I don't think they got anything off of the first album. So it came off of Rising and it came off of uh, Long Live Rock and Roll. You know, it, it just goes to show you his, his impact on on every other musicians, just as a vocalist. I'd be interested to find out why they sped up some of the songs um, from the first album when when they started playing them live. I, I'm just curious. I, I I know why, like on a auditory level, like just hearing them. They're better sounding, you know, faster. But I wonder what was the trigger that made them say, like, let's let's amp this up a bit because uh, maybe maybe the audience just wasn't into it when it was <laughs> being played slow. I, I, I don't know. It's I mean, just, it's I'm curious. I've always been curious about that. Very similar to when uh, Iron Maiden did um, Flight of Icarus. The original version that's on the album is very methodically paced. But you listen to... Uh, Live after death. I mean, it's it probably they cut almost thirty seconds off the song just in terms of pace. <laughs> you know, it, that's that they were flying through that song, yeah. and and they they continued to fly through that song even by the end of the tour because what you hear uh, on live after death is the end, pretty much the end of the tour when they played in L.A. Uh, or at least the, the end of the American leg. So they've been playing that song that fast the whole time. I think they don't play it much more in progressive tours but this last time they played it very similar to the studio version during the legacy to beast tour and i think there was concerted effort to slow it down but not be as slow as the original that's on uh, peace of mind so yeah. with, with man on a silver mountain i mean that's just slow and you think about like um rob halford's version on the tribute album slightly faster but still ploddingly slow. And then you listen to the Hammerfall version and it's like, it's a little, that's a little slower than the live version that Rainbow would do or, or Deep Purple, or not Deep Purple, but Rainbow or Ronnie would do by himself solo. So, you know, they Hammerfall played it more to the way it was played live. And that those are the only two versions that I know of, of that song that are recorded uh, for covers. 
So uh, as far as covers, I'm yeah, I'm I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I went but, looking but for them, but as far as recordings of the song, I mean, there's a lot of recordings of that. Song. Oh yeah, I mean, from Ronnie and you know, and and, and Rainbow, yeah. So y- your question is funny: is what what made it what made them speed it up? Shit, I think they fell asleep themselves trying to play it so slow. <laughs> I mean, I, I, well, me personally, I'm wondering why they recorded such a slow version and put that out instead of at least a little bit quicker version. I mean, I almost feel like putting it on 45 just so I can, you know, speed up the pace when I listen to it on vinyl. <laughs> I mean, it's neither here nor there at this point, but I think when it was when it was released, I mean, it fits with the rest of the album the way that that it comes across. Whether good or bad, that's that's just kind of the way that that whole first album was recorded, and I'm glad they went into a heavier direction, a quicker direction for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, the 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 change in band from the first album to Rising was so dramatic. You know, I mean, I guess Richie's like telling Ronnie, "Look, man, you guys know for not cutting it." You know, we need to we need something else, or you know, whatever it was back. In I the think day. that's really what it boils down to. Um, you know, they they were good musicians. They were they're guys that he was used to playing with. But there are times where you say this this just isn't working. We need to make a change for not only success, but for for you know quality of of what's being put out and obviously that those changes made a huge difference in what was to come next with rising i mean just monumental difference in in quality of writing oh yeah with ronnie leaving or choosing to leave or however it went down back in the day ronnie decides he tells richie look you know we need to go our separate ways however it went down one, it gives Richie the opportunity to do something more commercial. Maybe Richie had been talking to Ronnie and saying, listen, we need to do this and you need to sing like this. And maybe that's why Ronnie decided, you know what, I can't do that. Yeah. I, I am. I mean, it, it, that's a definite possibility. I mean, he is what he is. Right. You know, there's, 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 you're not going to, I mean, if you, you look at the totality of Ronnie's career, there's nothing in there. Although he achieved commercial success, you can't take it away from him. The way that he achieved the commercial success is not the way that Richie envisioned reaching that commercial success. Yeah. So that's where the the two styles, you know, began to, you know, separate and go their their, you know, their respective paths because Ronnie pretty much stayed true to what he was. Shortly thereafter, you know, a few it was weird if if I'm if I recall listening to a Tony Iommi interview recently. They wanted Ronnie at one point for Black Sabbath, I think, and he couldn't. He just he couldn't do it because Ozzy was still in the band. And then Ozzy left, and and they had that conversation. And then Black Sabbath's management didn't want Ronnie. You know, literally telling Tony, you can't have a midget fronting your band. And then Tony, Tony turns around. Well, listen to this, and you know the voice just doesn't sound like a guy who's five foot two, you know. Not at all. And um, I think that's why he wore high heels so he wouldn't look so short, you know, on stage. I'm surprised he didn't wear bigger platforms. <laughs> but but Ronnie's presence in general was so enormous that overcame his his height issues if you want to put it that way because no one's going to sit there and think that he's this tiny guy with that voice i mean that voice was incredible you know oh yeah i mean in in most of music you know especially before you know the music video era a lot of times people didn't even really know what the the guys looked like unless you saw them live right so i mean things changed and obviously like we brought up with david coverdale you know he he changed things in his band you know, because he didn't he didn't feel like the guys fit the visual part, and that was that was the same with with you mentioned with uh, Richie, with Graham Bonnet. He didn't feel feel like he fit the visual part, and I'm I'm sure that's that's always a factor. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter sometimes how good you are as a musician, if you don't look the part. I mean, we went to a concert, and I and I'm struggling to remember who the band was. It was one of the opening acts, but these these guys all looked like a uh, you know 80s metal band hair band kind of is that when we went to tesla 
Yeah, I believe so. And there was yeah. there was a drummer that looked like he he belonged to Blink One Eighty Two. Oh yes, and yes, that was the that was the Tesla show. I, yeah, and it it stands out, and it makes you say, "Hey, look like look at that guy that that he looks so different than the rest of them." And you're you're not for that moment, you're not paying attention, you know. Oh yeah. And so you you definitely don't want that. So I I get them them trying to fit an image, but Ronnie was just. Ronnie, you know. <laughs> oh, and and don't get me wrong. I mean, I, Tony was very very steadfast in wanting Ronnie to to, to front Black Sabbath. I mean, he's like, L- listen to this demo, and you will change your mind. And it did. It changed his management's mind and the record company's mind. You know, and it's like, all right, let's get this guy. And you know, a topic for another conversation. But you know, Ronnie altered the path of Black Sabbath as well. So oh, yeah. Ronnie has, like I said, you know, at the beginning of the show. Has such a profound effect on the heavy metal community it's it's unbelievable but going back to Jolyn Turner and his effect on Richie Blackmore there's no denying that Joe did exactly what Richie wanted and which was bring him commercial success they became a, a an arena act which is what you want to do when you come to America you want to be headlining arenas and that that was it. You don't. I mean, yeah, you could be headlining theaters. That's great. But once you you're headlining the fifteen to twenty thousand seat arenas, you know that's when you know you've you've reached that pinnacle in the United States where you you've found that success. The question was, do did they want to continue that? They tried it, you know, with bent out of shape. But the money, I get, it had to have been. You know, obviously, money is always a deciding factor on these things. Money was a driving factor for him to put down Rainbow and get back together with Deep Purple. Because you knew that they were going to be getting arena size shows. Yeah. You know? You know, what's always funny to me is that Joe Lynn Turner had also had that stint in, in Deep Purple yeah. during, you know, during <laughs> that reunion uh, when, when Ian Gillen left. Uh, he, you know, he goes over and he's the, the former leader or lead singer of uh, Rainbow. It joins Deep Purple, and it's essentially it's Roger Glover. Uh-huh, three-fifths of Rainbow. <laughs> yeah, Roger Glover, Blackmore, and, and Joe Lynn Turner. Yeah, they would have been better off calling it Rainbow at that point. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah, I and mean... it feels kind of like a Rainbow album to I, a degree. I never, it, it, never got into it. You know, it, that's, that's one of those things. I mean, it's almost like you've improved Rainbow by having John Lord and Ian Pace in your band. I mean, if you if you can't have Cozy, having Ian is a, is a hell of a, an addition, I guess you could say. And John Lord, I mean, he's he's the one that, you know, Don Airy and, and Dave Rosenthal and Tony Carey and all those guys look up to because he's the guy. So, yeah. It's 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 funny that it would be that way. But in the end, Ian Gillen comes back and Richie eventually departs and reforms Rainbow for one album and then he puts it down again and becomes a renaissance guitar player with his girlfriend slash future wife Candace Knight yeah eventually to return the last couple of years to Rainbow again with uh, Ronnie Romero another Ronnie another Ronnie yeah they've released a couple songs which I actually like uh, they, Ronnie Romero's a, a good singer he fits with with that style of music and uh i mean i'm a big fan of of angra and uh some south american bands that have a very similar style and and i've always kind of noticed that he he has a, a similar singing style that fits very well with because i mean it, power metal is a huge thing in in south america it's the unfortunately they haven't released a full album they've they've only done a couple covers of old songs and one or two, maybe it's two new songs. Um, yeah, there was two that I saw. Now, speaking of this particular era of the band, which is the latest incarnation, there's a guy named Jolyn Turner who's been pining to get the spot back in Rainbow. We did a, an episode several months ago, if you want to look at it that way, of artists living off their legacy. And that's Joe right now Joe's living off his legacy he really was trying to get Richie 
to get back together with Rainbow, and he was trying to make this gigantic Rainbow reunion with all the ex-players in this kind of rotating type of band. To some degree, sort of like what Michael Schenker's doing with temp, uh, with uh, Schenkerfest, you know, having the three different vocalists come out. He wanted to bring, you know, Doogie, and um, obviously they couldn't bring Ronnie, so he wanted Graham to come out. A um, couple of different guitar players, you know, a couple of different drummers or whatever it was. Joe Lynn Turner is lining all this up with Live Nation, but none of it is going through the, the, the Richie camp. And in the end, Richie turned around and says, I'm playing with my guys from the Renaissance band. And uh, I got this singer, Ronnie Romero, who's really good. The music at first, I guess the first short tour that they did kind of sounded a little uninspired, you know, the way they played some of the songs. But as it went along, and I think everybody got comfortable, it got better. That's for sure. Yeah, I think he had to get back into playing that style of music. I mean, he'd, he'd been doing something completely different for a while. Yeah, he had definitely had to be rusty and get those old fingers back in in the groove. <laughs> yeah, get his chops back. You, you mentioned, you know, it's funny you mentioned that uh, that revolving lineup. It's funny how we're seeing more of that. Like Halloween did that where they brought back all their old singers, and uh, there was another band I was thinking of that that just that did that. Um, what was the Eye of the Tiger? Who who sang that Survivor? song? Survivor. Survivor did that for a while. Oh, did they? And I think I think one of their the the singers uh, for that band passed away, um, but they they did that same kind of thing where they they brought in all their or their their previous lead singers, and and kind of did like a revolving, you know, one guy sings this song, the other guy sings the other song. It's interesting how we're kind of seeing that with with some bands now. Yeah, I watched the uh, the Michael Schenker concert. Um, mm-hmm. And that was interesting because it is, it's one of those things where typically you see these guest appearances by guitarists or bass players or drummers, but you, you hardly ever see a, a revolving door of, of singers at a, at a particular concert. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty cool because, you know, you, you get, in Michael's case, you've got Graham Bonnet come out, uh, who was doing some of the original Michael Schenker group stuff. Then you've got, um, uh, what was his name, Ron McCauley? comes out and does the Macaulay Schenker group, the other MSG. So that was pretty cool. And then he had uh, then he had Doogie come out and do the more recent Schenker stuff. So it's 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 pretty cool. They were he was able to get that together, you know. The yeah, ba- I, I like that that these artists can put their egos aside to you know, do something that the fans would really love. Yeah, you you would think that that would that would be something that some of these people could do, you know. But it's amazing how some of these old farts are so freaking bitter and harbor such resentment after all these years. I mean, I get that Deep Purple are not going to play the the the, the Ian Gillen version of Deep Purple is not going to play Coverdale songs. I get that, but you know what? Coverdale always had to play the Gillen songs. No, you know. the same thing we talked about with with uh, Van Halen, right, Van. and then Kiss. I mean, Kiss couldn't even get up there and play, like at the at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, couldn't even play anything. Right, I Guns mean, and Roses couldn't play up there. I mean, it, it, it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is famous for these people not doing st- you know their stuff on stage. Yep. But you know, but then you have you know like Sammy doesn't care. You know, he didn't. He he wanted to do something with Dave. I mean, he actually did a tour with Dave when they were both out of Van Halen didn't necessarily work out the best way that Sammy wanted it to, but that he tried it, they they did it. It just didn't it didn't work out the way he thought it was going to work out at the end. But again, his ego is such that he said, "You know what, Dave? You want to close, you close. You want to be the main guy, you be the main guy." Fine. And and, and kudos to Sammy in the same way that I I say kudos to to Bruce Dickinson for being this guy who's essentially egoless when it comes to that because he plays obviously he has to play the Paul songs because he was been in the band since 1982 but to come back and play the Blaze Bailey stuff is impressive because Rob Halford has yet to play the Ripper Owens stuff although he's mentioned that he would and he's up open to it he is still yet to do it God I would love to hear that I would love to hear him do Jugulator let's see what he does on this on this uh, 50th anniversary tour that's supposed to take place next year That'd be amazing. It would be pretty cool. 
So that brings us to this week's Big Four Rainbow Songs. You, you want to go first or you want me to go first? I can go first. That's fine. All right. Go first. All right. So I'm going to start number four off with Stargazer. I mentioned it before. It is a journey. It's a, it's a great song. It's it's personally it's not on the 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 number one spot for me, but I've heard so many musicians talk about that song. If you haven't heard it, it's it's one you need to listen to and you you think, "Oh, it's 8 minutes. Oh my god, this is going to take up my time." It's not that way. I mean, you start listening to it and then it's over and you're like, "What? what how did that happen? You know, how did 8 minutes go by?" It's it is a fantastic song and definitely worth a listen. All right, so number three, I've got uh, Starstruck, and that that song is just ingrained in my head. I, I it's one of those like I, I think everybody has a couple songs that just when you're you're not doing anything they just kind of come up in your head and you you kind of hum them or or whistle them or whatever, and that's just one that. I've, I, maybe it's because I listened to it for six months straight, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that one's just one of those that it just always cycles through my head. Um, number two, I've got Kill the King. Kill the King off of the, uh, the Long Live Rock and Roll album. It's just a really cool song, and, and Dio continued to do it past the, the rainbow years and only made it heavier, and it's, it's an awesome song. And then in my number one slot, even though I don't like the recording, the the, the studio record, recording of it, every live version of it afterwards was amazing, uh, and that's "Man on the Silver Mountain." It's it's a killer song. It really is. Number um, one, huh? Number one, yeah. I don't I don't care for the the studio recording of it, but check out uh, any any live version of it, even the the Dio. Uh, the Dio era, uh, I mean the, the the Dio version of it. Uh, they released a, um, a live version. I want to say it was called Intermission. Um, that's one of the coolest versions of that song. And we talk about rainbow songs. We're not talking about who played them or if it, you know what version of it. It it's Ronnie singing it on on the Dio albums. It's it's a killer song. Oh no, I love the song. You know. Um so my list goes a little differently than yours, and, and I think for the first time since we've been doing these head-to-head debates, we actually have stuck closer to the era that we're, that we're debating and, and, and are siding with than mm-hmm. in the past, because your four songs were all Ronnie songs. Number five, I'm actually putting, if, if, if we had a number five. Your, your, your I gotta, honorable mention? My honorable mention, I got to throw out to to Grand Bonnet with "Since You've Been Gone." I love that song. It was tough for me to not put it on there, but it, I had a list of like eighteen songs, <laughs> and I had to narrow this thing down. And "Since You've Been Gone" was almost number four, but "Stargazer" is just so good. I, I had a similar uh, thing with with the, the tr- trying to pick the songs that I that I picked on here because. To me, all the songs, like they're all, all the good songs are like equally as good. And it's hard for one to be over the other when this one's just as good and this, that, and the other. You know, it, it's like they all kind of have that same impact together, you know, each yeah. individually, obviously, but it, collectively, it's like, well, how do you put this one over that one? Where, you know, with other bands, it's obviously, like, oh, this is definitely their best song, or this is definitely a song, you know, that, that I can put in the number one slot. But for me, you know, obviously I'm more influenced by the the, the Jolene Turner era. Um, however, the songs that I picked are really not. Well, I didn't even expect them because I started thinking about it. Well, I like this song more. So anyway, my number four song is Stone Cold off of Straight Between the Eyes. Love that song. What I love most about that song is the guitar solo. It is just an incredible guitar solo from yeah, from, it's a good one. Richie. I like that one. Um, that's my number four. My number three is Kill the King. Again, you had it at number two. It's my number three. It, it was hard for me to place it somewhere in that, in that top four. Which one was it going to be? It could have been any of them. I chose number three. I love that song. I mean, I, I love the, the way Metallica did it. I love the way that Adrenaline Mob did their version on the Coverter EP that they put out. That was a covers EP. That was awesome. All the versions I've ever heard of that song are really cool. Um... My number two is 
all night long from the Grand Bonnet era. Uh, and that is, you liked Since You've Been Gone. I didn't hear Since You've Been Gone till much later. For some reason, I never caught on to that single. But I heard all night long. I saw that video, and that was such a killer song. I love that song. That's the reason why I went out to buy Down to Earth, because I didn't even know about I didn't even know about that song. And then, then on top of that, when I got the album, they have a song called uh, Lost in Hollywood. Love that song, too. But number two is All Night Long. My number one song is not on an album. My number one song is Jealous Lover. It was that on, is a good song. It was on EP, and it, it made its way onto Final Vinyl. Love that song. That is an incredible song. Probably one of the best Jolene Turner era songs that came out. If you know, In my opinion, it's the best. It was. It didn't make it on into an album until the band was over, um, but I love that song. So it was. It was tough to choose, but you know these. These were the first. The four songs I thought for me best represented Rainbow. That's all we can ask. With that, that's the end of our debate. Ronnie versus Jolene Turner. Chris, where can our fans hear the podcast? Well, if you enjoyed the show and agreed with our opinions, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Instagram, we like to post. Uh, images of the uh the albums we picked the big four we're always constantly updating so check us out if you have any questions or want to interject something email us at debatingmetal at gmail.com and that's it for us this week on behalf of kenneth dean i'm chris k we'll see you see ya